Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. Presented by Luke Sleep Beds. I'm a mortal man, give me a break. Here are your hosts, Luke, Nigel, and Tanner. Delicious, vicious, Jimmy Dean, sausage fingers, ham steak, Romaine Jr. the third, coming at you. <laughs> and then of course we got Luke there. Uh, Luke, thirty-two. Was once called a Bart Simpson-looking motherfucker at the courts of Green Lake. <laughs> so you know I'm legit. If you don't like what I have to say? You can eat my shorts. All right. Well, I guess we should just start on a pretty light topic to kind of get into a warm-up in the swing of things. So uh, I said we get into this Russell Wilson controversy. It is Russell Wilson hunting season right now. Never ends. Who, who wants to uh, give us the, the lowdown here? You want me to start it off? Russell yeah. Wilson's a dirtbag and <laughs> is giving 25% of his, uh, his charity income to the, to the kids of Children's Hospital. Uh, that's a pretty good start there. It, it's just wild to me because it's like, who is like who is this guy relying on to like give him like the proper information how to like run these businesses and nonprofits or like just this one nonprofit like you have to know that there's shady shit going on with this. I think we when we were talking about it the other day, there's probably more nuance to it than this, but that's like the short version of it is that it all seems to follow the same track is that he's very much about his image. People like that always surround themselves with yes men. And so he just has this echo chamber of people that are his business associates. And I think, too, he's just one of those guys that always wants to be the smartest guy in the room. And so then it's just like, you think that guy knows how to read a ledger and see if his company is, like, not that good? I don't think, but he strikes me as the type that they'd be like, his yes man would be like, here's the numbers. They're perfect. They're great. We're crushing it. Did that spot the other day. He showed up. Everyone loved it. Crushing it. And he's just like, yep, you are absolutely right. You know, that would make a lot of sense because someone did tell him that the eat the football bread was a good idea also, so that's pretty much tracking. If it's the same if, if it's the, the same, same people, yes yeah, it's the the same, same yes if it's the same him. people in his corner, they they uh, they're going down that going down that path still. Does this really come down to like is it Mark Rogers that's truly the problem here? Because I mean Russell Wilson, he's not actually running like all these different businesses. Like he's having people do it for him. Like he's like he's kind of barking orders here or there, but like his number one job is to play quarterback. I think he forgets that sometimes. But like his job is to play quarterback, try to have a successful season for his team. But is it Mark Rogers that's the problem that maybe it's time to maybe let him go? Because that dude is not only his agent, but his lawyer and also he was a chairman for the board for this whole thing, right? I I think so. I don't know. Was he a, was he the chairman? I I don't know the answer to that, but I just know if you're putting your name on it at some capacity, you got to have some oversight of it. Russell Wilson clearly isn't doing that. Anyone who knows anything about charities should know that they're heavily scrutinized by IRS guidelines. You got to have some kind of idea of what's going on. People do care about that. People look at that stuff. How much, like how much of this is actually going to charity? People who actually give donations 
all, all of us were probably not rich enough to be giving much for donations, little things here and there. But people who actually are giving tens of thousands of dollars to look at that stuff. So I can't imagine how they've gotten away with it for this long. Yeah, I mean, on your Mark Rogers point, is that I think beat the same drum. Is I think it's just like it seems like they're inseparable, right? Because like you just said, he wears many hats for him, and that's because I think if you were, I mean, similar to kind of this situation. I think playing quarterback at times is that if if you had people that told you like no like when he was in Seattle no Russell like you you can't do that you're not the offensive coordinator you're the quarterback okay offensive coordinator calls the plays you run the plays coach hires the co- or head coach and GM hire the hire the coaches and they draft the players and they acquire them you don't get to pick who we sign but you don't like that so that's why you have a guy like Mark Rogers because he's a yes man to you and he will wear all those hats. Because then he will say yes to you down all these different avenues. But then you don't actually have somebody based your oversight committee. Like Nigel said this the other day, is like you think any normal charity, you would have a third party audit your stuff. So that it's not some guy from USA, whatever, that AP is going to come out and be like, yeah, we audited your charity and found out that you only give 25 cents on the dollar. Like, you should already know that if you're not doing it that well, because you pay somebody to audit your books and make sure that you're not doing something shady. I think the biggest question that comes down to is, like, what's Russell Wilson's response going to be to all this? Because, like, I think he's trying to take the approach right now, like, bury his head under the sand and, like, eventually this will just blow over. But I feel like on top of, like, having a terrible year and just, like, an embarrassment of a trade for the Broncos, like how they just got fleeced by the Seahawks. So you have that. You have this come up. And then just him being corny, like, left and right. He's got to do something at this point to, like, try to, like, save some of his legacy because it's just going to keep going more and more downhill. And, like, his response to this whole thing, the first thing that – or at least the first thing that I saw that was posted about Russell Wilson after this all came out, he's at a private private banquet dinner for the Super Bowl with Sean Payton and Joe Montana and the owner of Wheels Up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. His response to, like, having this – Massive controversy about his uh, nonprofit is well. I'm going to take this uh, photo op at my private dinner that's costing like some crazy amount of money with my private plane company. Yeah, the the fact that he hasn't already had, as far as I know, because I feel like I would have seen it, some sort of official statement, even if it's canned, even if it's just like I think his charity did have something that was. Like, but him though. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, I that's, don't know the, that's the thing. Is it like? It'd be one thing if he wasn't out there in the public, but like you're just saying, is that it's like, like you have to say it yourself, whether it's a Instagram like, oh, like a video on Instagram or or Twitter or whatever. But it's like it said, I don't know that the optics are very good, but it's like, oh, you have time to go hang out with Joe Montana and Sean Payton. Now, granted, Sean Payton's your new head coach, so that's probably not as bad. But you got time to do that, but you don't have time to get, even if it's in the privacy of your own home front of a camera and be like to all my why not us or whatever people to the rw3 like all, all the people in support and be like i take this very seriously x even if it's the most canned thing ever so like, you don't even need to do a video just have your pr team send, send something out that says we were unaware that that the practices were this bad we're going to do everything in our power to audit and be see, that's right just so, i don't know that a, a pr state like said you have enough presence like I think on on the flip side is like this is part of the cachet that he relies on is that I do th- I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying it's not 
well well intentions because it is but you have all these photo ops of you going to the hospital all the time being out there and that's why you've obviously got a lot of good favor because like you are out there you are doing these things so then when that same organization it's like you only gave seventy six thousand dollars you said it was 2.6 to children's now you've obviously done a lot of nice things for children's because you go there that that money isn't going to show up on the ledger but you know like you are making a change and you're making an impact but go out go out and say something then be like i've always been committed to trying to do it and like we fell short of our own goals like i can personally say that like things are going to change we're going to get to the bottom of it like i'm not hiding from this i'm right here you would think after this season he'd be pretty good at that at this point too i mean he had he had to do it like 15 times this season. you probably don't want to go in front of press no but you that's why you could do it on your own terms and like be at your house to be with Ciara. that's cool too <laughs> but like, and be I mean, like hey i think at the very least you have to have some kind of some kind of change bullshit whether it's a quick video which i'm sure he'll do at some point i just wonder if like russell's just one of those guys that just like he just can't like you know like you you have a buddy that just like can't read the room being obnoxious but he can never like read that like everyone else is annoyed by him like i just feel like that's russell I think that's a hundred percent part of it is that he's he just doesn't he's just a robot. Well, well yeah, and he <laughs> he just doesn't live in the same world as everyone else. He he always has been living in a different fucking planet, but especially was it uh Marcus Spears or whatever the guy I think he's on Good Morning Football or whatever with like Orlovsky and all those yeah, guys on the that's show Marcus Spears on the DP, and he was talking about that like why is it that the richest people do the craziest shit? And he was talking about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And you're going to spend thousands and thousands of, thousands and thousands of dollars to go sit in a dark room for four days? Like, turn the goddamn lights off in your house. How about that? <laughs> like, like, I couldn't agree more with that. He's like, oh, he's like, it's only rich people that do this weird-ass stuff. Like, that, what difference does that make? Like, my, my parents came from blah, blah, blah. Yeah, whatever, soft story, poor, whatever. Yeah. I was poor. I spent many, <laughs> spent many yeah. nights in a dark room yeah. with no lights on. And I can tell you is that, like, you can do the same thing in your house. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he, well, he's like, my parents going through trials and tribulations never needed a dark room to figure out their shit. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, you're making $50 million a year. This isn't that hard of a decision. Like, yeah. There's people you're making actual real-life hard decisions every day. They don't need a, they don't need dark room therapy to fucking, for four days to figure out that, well, where am I going to go make $50 million next year? <laughs> Speaking of uh, decisions, Geno Smith, what's going to happen there? Hopefully, uh, hopefully nothing, or <laughs> hopefully less than twenty million dollars a year. That's that's. Yeah, I, I think I think twenty would be the number for the Seahawks to be all in. Yeah, but, but realistically, there's no way he's taking twenty million. I mean, they have him ranked like in some some people's rankings as the in the top five of free agents. It's like dudes like that are not sitting around for a long time, and they're not not getting paid. Like he's going to get yeah. something. Um, like we've talked about this before, we all agree. I, he should get. He himself, you should go get paid. Somebody yeah. wants to give you forty million dollars. I don't care if it's the the Jets are actually on the come up, but I feel like they would be a if or the Browns. I don't care if you want to go to one of the worst franchises in the NFL. If they want to pay you, you should probably just take it. Like that's good money, all right? Like let's face it, I like you, Gito. But and you had a great you had a great year, especially relative to what you've done the rest of your career. But you're not going to break any franchise records 
for a career or so because he did set some single season for the Seahawks. So, like, you're not going to make the Hall of Fame at this point. What you can do is make the Hall of making lots of money. <laughs> so you should go do that. You should go get paid as much as you can. Seahawks definitely shouldn't be the team to do it. I think the funniest thing about it, too, is that now the national media is like, well, like, you guys have to sign Gina. Like, he showed you, like, you know, what he is. Like, you can't just, like, do that with Drew Locke. If you try to do the same thing with him, it's not going to work out. It's like, you guys a year ago were talking about how letting go of Russell Wilson and trading him off, like, people were putting Pete Carroll's head on a spike. Like, they were, like, saying that he is outdated. He needs to be gone from the league. Like, that was the worst mistake ever. Geno Smith cannot do the job. And now a year later, because Geno had a pretty good season, which there are some stats that Luke was talking about the other day that I'll have him dive into. But the guy, he got away from a lot of turnovers that could have really changed things around. That could have been a couple games lost for some turnovers that he could have potentially had. He could have, like, those stats and the efficiency that we saw, like, it couldn't have been as pretty if some of those turnovers would have happened. And I think teams are going to catch on to it. But I also think that the Seahawks obviously have a, a knack to, like, take a quarterback and turn him into something. I mean, they took Russell Wilson year one. Obviously, he was, like, a – he was someone that we were excited about back then, but it was still a third-round quarterback, right? And they were able to throw him in first-year starter after they already picked up Matt Flynn, who was supposed to be the dude. And I'm pretty sure during that time, everyone thought that they were crazy to have Matt Flynn sitting on the sidelines after he got, like, a relatively big contract for that time to throw Russell yeah, Wilson. I think it was, like, $10 million. It was like 14 or something like that. But it was pretty... I'll, I'll uh, slowly Google that. But but. Let's, let's go even further back. Tavares Jackson, before that, <laughs> in the first year, what did he get? Seven wins, brought him to a playoff game, beat the Saints, caused beef, single-handedly caused beef. Bravely led him to a 7-9 yeah. record. Yeah, exactly. No, that was Hasselback. No, that was Tavares. No, that was Tavares Jackson. Yeah, that was TJ. Uh, Hasselbeck was Hasselbeck in was Tennessee gone. by then. Yeah, you're talking about the season they had the beast quake and everything. That was he was at that game. I was there. How was Matt Hasselbeck there? No, no. that was TJ. That was Tavares Jackson. Google that while you're at it too. But regardless, the Seahawks obviously like Pete Carroll's system is going to be built around a strong defense, a strong team, a team mentality as well. Like that's a big reason why Russell left is because he became larger than life. But I don't think that the Seahawks are going to have a problem throw it in someone else. It may not be Drew Locke. Maybe they hit something in the draft. You know, that's another topic to yeah. go into as well. But yeah, I don't segue into that. I think that jumping all in on Geno Smith goes completely away from the purpose that they were trying to make a year ago. Like they're trying to build a foundation. They're trying to build a team. And the second you start paying those quarterbacks that big money, historically a lot of times the team starts to go downhill because you can't there's a salary cap. There's only so much that you can you can run with. Geno Smith is not a franchise quarterback. That's the bottom line. Uh, for those interested at home, Matt Flynn signed a three-year, $19 million contract with $10 million guaranteed. Okay. Wow, that was it. Bang. Like I said, $10 million. He did that off of one game. Yeah, throwing six touchdowns <laughs> against yeah. the Lions. Get out of here. <laughs> but, I mean, at least when they signed him, you thought the Seahawks, like, like you said, felt good about it. They said the Seahawks were seven and nine. They made the playoffs even with a losing record. That was the year also that we picked up Marshawn Lynch, and so you felt like they were moving in the right direction, right? And you got Matt Flynn, and honestly, even looking at that contract now, is it like 
little bit of a flyer, but like, what's ten million gar- like more than it is now because the salary cap's gone up. But ten million guaranteed really isn't that much, especially for a quarterback. If you think like T. Jack did it last year for us, if Matt Flynn's any better than him, I was gonna say guys, a guys team. at that point were getting ten million guaranteed at, as first round or first overall picks. Like guys like Bradford, they're getting more than that. He yeah, got like sixty million guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That was probably right in that same same timeline there. So it really wasn't that much. But to get back on about Geno and Drew Locke is that. I said this the whole time, so like, because I feel like I haven't heard anybody say it, is that, no, I'm just joking. I don't buy it. <laughs> Dude, watch the video. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just, I know, no, I know you're, you're right, because now that I think about the video, because he, Hasselbeck actually runs down. Yeah, Hasselbeck down won't get the play. block in the back at the end of it. Yeah, I still think T-Jack was the starter that season for some reason. Was and T-Jack not the starter? No, Matt Hasselbeck was the starter in that game. But I feel like T-Jack was, maybe that was the next year. But no, because the next year was Russell Wilson. Yeah, I guess that's right. No, yeah. it was Matt Hasselback that season. The following year was T-Jack for one one season. That's when they signed Matt Flynn and drafted Russell Wilson in the same in the same off season. But T-Jack was the starter. I thought T-Jack he was the starter. There was a lull between Matt Hasselback, Beastquake era. That was what 2010, 2009. Beastquake was 2010, I think. Yeah. Or it might have been 2011, actually. I, I, think yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was 2010, 2011, but the playoffs. Yeah. It was 2010, 2011, Hasselback. Next season, T-Jack, after they let Hasselback walk. And then did, the next did season. Did we make the playoffs with T-Jack that year? Because we weren't, weren't they on a streak? with? Or was that the one year that they didn't make the playoffs? I guess. I, I don't think they made the playoffs. I think that was the one year they didn't make the playoffs and they couldn't get over it. God. Terrible sports radio going on here. Yeah, we need our stats guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need our stats guy to just confirm those things. Twenty eleven <laughs> signed two year contract with the Seahawks. Announces the starting quarterback shortly after. Reunited with Daryl Bevel and wide receiver Sidney Rice, Matt Hasselbeck, who signed with Tennessee. Yeah, that all. Best that year of his career: three thousand ninety one passing yards, fourteen tutties, thirteen picks. During the off season, they acquired Matt Flynn and drafted Russell Wilson. Yeah, you're right. Matt Hasselbeck. I should have known. Should have known. They want the ball and they're going to win. <laughs> <laughs> what a great moment in Seahawks history. So what was those stats that you were talking about, though, like as far as the turnovers go for Geno Smith that you were talking about? Like I said, they're not my stats, so I don't want to. It was Hugh Millen who was talking about it on the radio. But basically the short of it is he had mapped out turnover-worthy plays. Basically your actual picks versus – Drop picks, and then I assume I, he didn't say this, but I assume the other part is fumbles that you had that didn't turn into turnovers. But basically, it's like like Josh Allen led the league in turnover-worthy plays at like 33, and he had you know 18 picks and a handful of fumbles, so he had 20-something turnovers and led the league. And like for reference, you know I think Aaron Rodgers had 18 turnover-worthy plays and 16 turnovers. You know. And that was kind of the theme, is that most people converted on about 80 to 90% of turnover-worthy plays resulted in a turnover, and Gino was at 15 turnovers with 32 turnover-worthy plays, so less than 50%. So a part, not to compare it to something else, but it's kind of like, at least in my mind, it kind of reminds me of what a lot of people said about the Mariners, not this past year, but the year before, like a negative run differential. Yeah. Just one of those things that's like, yeah. 
luck factor. If you regress to the median and you have 80% turnover rate on turnover-worthy plays, then you probably have 24, 25 turnovers instead of 15. And like I said, if you look at – and, you know, I, I don't buy into all, like, advanced metrics and stuff like that because I think there's still some eye test things. Although this is what I say is that this stat – passes the eye test for me when we watch games like Gino had a great year especially by his standards and what you're looking for in a guy but I think when you watch it a lot of times it's like what are you doing there Gino and like and he got lucky guy he threw a lot of balls this year that hit DBs in hands and they just dropped it and if you regress to the median and you do that again next year it's easy to look at the basic stats and be like oh he had 28 or 29 touchdown throws and 15 picks and he threw for 4,000 yards but if you look at it a little deeper and you do the same thing next year and you regress to the median, maybe you throw 29 touchdowns and 24 picks. You probably throw less touchdowns because when you throw picks, you throw a touchdown on that drive, obviously. So some of those probably get flip-flopped and maybe you throw 25 touchdowns and 19 picks. Not so good anymore. A lot more mediocre. And realistically, I think could look don't have the stats in front, but basically the Seahawks went 6-3 and three in their first nine games. And they went three and six in their last nine. That's what I was just gonna say. And so you saw above average top ten quarterback play from him in the first half. Teams adjusted a little bit, and you saw probably about a fifteen to twentieth best quarterback in the second half of the season. I was just gonna second that. I don't think you need to go as far down. You don't need to go down in advanced metrics anything to to see that Geno Smith is a middle of the road quarterback because he went six and three to start the season and three and six to end it. And so I think that's who he is and who he's going to be. And so I don't think he's worth $30 million for the, for the Seahawks. It's just a waste of money. No, and I started to say this earlier and got a little off track, especially when I was horribly wrong about Lars Jackson's tenure. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you got to just shoot your shot. But I haven't heard anybody say it. It's just like Geno's getting his flowers this year when I thought it was kind of the same reason why, like, when they got rid of Russell's, like, it made sense to me in a lot of ways is because we brought in our offensive coordinator who now all of a sudden his name has just slipped out of my mind but same guy who was at the rams and they kind of did the same thing now there's obviously there's more coaches there and it's not just our oc but yeah until they got matt stafford which is why they upgraded at the position but they had an offense that could maximize a guy like jared goff because it's meant to get guys open, create separation, stay on time, all things that Russell Wilson hates doing, staying on time, staying within the confines of the offense. And just about any average quarterback can go out there and move the football, especially if you pair it with a great defense, which the Seahawks aren't there yet, but obviously that's what Pete Carroll and John Schneider want to do, and I think they're making good steps to get there. And then run the football, which they're also making good steps to being a good running football team. So, like, off Who's our offensive quarterback? Shane Waldron. Shane Waldron. Thank you. <laughs> Shane Waldron. So, like, like, the guy's got no credit that it's like, I think Shane Waldron made Gino. Gino didn't all of a sudden. It's why the same people that are saying it, like, they said this, and I think it's just at the beginning of the season, and it's still true. We all know who Gino Smith is. He's been in the league long enough. He ain't right back, though. He's a bad yeah, yeah, they all wrote it that he's, we know who he is, and we know what he can do. And so the fact that he did more than that, I think tells me more about what Shane Waldron can do as a play caller and what he can do to make the most out of an average quarterback. So I, Drew Locke can be that guy. I mean, I think with Drew Locke as well, like I know they were saying it 
my, my guys, uh, Brock and Sauce, they were talking about this before, but they were saying, like, last year, if you take Drew Locke and you threw him in that NFL draft last year, you look at that dude, he's ahead of all the other quarterbacks that were in that draft. Like, the dude has, like, a natural, like, athleticism, a natural gift of, like, being a strong quarterback, strong arm guy. He just makes a lot of bad decisions, what I understand. Now, we didn't get to watch him really play. You know, obviously, he was in Denver, and we didn't really get to watch him in spring ball because he had COVID and, like, or not spring ball, sorry, but, you know, during the preseason. But I think that, like, this is the type of guy that, like, he still has untapped potential that we don't know exactly what's there yet. And if he's had a year to get acquainted with the Seahawks system and then he gets handed the reins, which is kind of, to me, seems like that's what they kind of want to do. They're saying, oh, like, they're saying to the world right now, like, oh, we want to re-sign Geno Smith. But in a sense, like, I'm kind of thinking, like, they're trying to help that dude out too. Like, I don't think they have a real intention on signing him. I think they just really like Geno and they want to see him get paid and I mean, get recognized. They said the same thing about how they had no interest in trading Russell Wilson up to the day before he got traded. Exactly. And that's what all these guys do, though. Like, you're not going to show your cards. No, you don't show your cards. And I think that Pete Carroll's mentioned it multiple times how much he likes Drew Locke and how much he's developed through this season. And I think that that's the move that they're going to go towards. One thing that I heard, though, from uh, Luke Wilson the other day was that he was basically saying that the Seahawks should 100% pay Drew Locke any amount of money. Sorry, yes, 100% pay Geno any amount of money because Geno has the locker room and the trust of everyone and has for a long time. And it's kind of even when Russell was there, he was the dude like in the quarterback room that everyone liked and respected and that they should they should throw the bag at him because, because he has the chemistry and he's going to keep the team together. As much as I hear that and will acknowledge that, is that that's where I've kind of said before with other guys, and we were kind of talking about, KJ the other day when I think when we were driving out to go ice fishing is that is that a guy like Luke Wilson he he has some good commentary on things and I do like him because he's a good personality I love it when he's on the radio because he's always got funny things to say but a lot of these guys they say that because they have relationships in the locker room yeah. with these guys and part of what makes them still relevant to come on and talk because maybe it's not the most earth shattering news but. They still know things about the inner workings. Like Luke Wilson still gets invited to camp and go walk around and glad hand people and you know learn a couple things here or there and then bring it to the radio. But of course he's going to say it because it's his buddy. Like he wants to see him get paid and like and you want to prop up your friends and like that's what a good friend would do is be like no they should definitely pay Gino. That guy always had the respect of everybody. I've seen it firsthand. Like yeah, you're going to say because you're too close to the situation. Still business and you're doing a good job being a friend trying to promote Gino's business. So I, I would also add with that too is that during at least that last season, like Russell Wilson clearly like in through the years he lost the locker room. Like he was a yeah. good player. If you're comparing like personality wise, like if you had to go into the into the media room every day with Russell Wilson and, and Gino Smith, of course you're gonna gravitate towards someone like Gino Smith because Russell Wilson's a dweeb. Like, yeah, yeah, Russell's a robot and is living on a different planet. And so but, he did and Gino's a an every, every man's man. He's only making a million bucks a year like the rest of us. Yeah, swaggy ones, like, I didn't write yeah. back, like, <laughs> yeah. crowd goes wild. <laughs> you know? And you're always rooting for the underdog, too. And, like, Russell Wilson's the type of guy that, like, he comes into a system, and this is something that Sean Payton addressed the other day, like, during uh, his time in the media, but, like, Russell Wilson has his own staff at, like, the team facility. Like, you have to 
make like you were saying, like you have to make an appointment like with his people in order to like get in contact with Russell. Like he he is so far like in his head above everyone else that like he has no personality or no one's really gonna enjoy like, any kind of time with him. And it's like it's so easy to be like, oh yeah, Geno Smith needs to get paid and like he needs to be the guy because he had the locker room. Like I don't know, man. You put another big talent into the room or just someone that shows up and performs. Like I feel like Geno Smith can also get gets replaced pretty quick. On a side note on that, did Russell Wilson just ruin, like, any chance of quarterbacks having having continuity of a, of a team ever? Because I feel like that's been a topic over the last couple of years. Like, uh, Aaron Rodgers wants that. Kyler Murray wants that. Like, all these guys want want stake in the team, and they want they want to be, be, the, be the GM. Like, did he ruin that forever for everyone? I don't think so, only because I don't think that was ever going to be on the table for any player. Tom Brady didn't have that at all yeah but he was also under Belichick where exactly it was never gonna exactly but that's why that's why that's a great example is like you could say I mean Belichick is obviously one of the greatest coaches in football history definitely the NFL history but Tom Brady's you know the greatest quarterback in history they won't let him do it so what makes you so special we give it to you like I said it's just like anything is that like this is why you have this is why there's a hierarchy to these things and nobody's going to shake up the hierarchy. And honestly, it's probably for the best. There's a reason why the GM drafts the players and signs the free agents. And sometimes the coach has input on it, sometimes more than other times. And then, the, you know, the coaches bring in the other coaches and they bring in the scheme. And then the coordinators call the plays and the players play football. All right. And that's and that's the breakdown of it. And I think, honestly, like it's proven over time is that like that is the hierarchy. Like you're a quarterback. You're not a GM. You haven't done the job. You want to do that once you retire? Great, you should. You should go be a coach or you should go be a GM. Now's not your time. Well, LeBron, he's trying to do the same thing. The same, too. Like, not to get off topic, but it's like listening to, like, Kyrie in his press conference, you know, when he's like, when he's like, I'm glad Kevin Durant got out of there. Kevin Durant wanted to be there. And then he wanted you there because you wanted to be there, too. And you guys both got there. Then you got your coach that you wanted. And then you fired your coach after you didn't like it. And then you both wanted to leave. Like, what do you mean you wanted that? Like, you wanted all of these things. And then when it didn't work, you're like, oh, I'm so glad that we're able to get out of there. It's like, this is why you don't get to pick these things. This is why GMs get paid tons of money because they know how the puzzle pieces fit together better than the puzzle pieces know how to. They don't, puzzle pieces don't fit themselves together, right? The puzzle master does. So, Nigel, put on your GM hat for a second. You're going into this offseason with the Seahawks. What moves are you making at quarterback? What do you think about the draft? Well, first, moves at quarterback, I am not paying Gino more than $20 million a year. If he wants more than that, I'm letting him walk. And then I would say you you focus on the, tr- on the trenches. Got to go heavy D-line. I'm talking free agency first before we go to the draft now. You need more, you need more O-line depth. You need you got some young pieces there, but I think you got to go get a good guard or two. You definitely need to get a center somewhere. Hopefully, maybe in the draft you you find that. And then you need you need to rush the passer. You need to be able to stop the run. You got it. That was your biggest weakness this year. You need to get a linebacker somewhere. Whether it's I know it's one of our topics. Cody Barton. Sign <laughs> Cody Barton today. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever he wants, throw Co- him the bag. Cody Barton is is the worst linebacker I've, I've ever seen. Sign, so him, to, sign him to go play somewhere else. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll pay okay, his salary I, yeah, to I go play pay, on someone else's I'll team. I'll pay to send him anywhere. He had some some of the most unbelievable plays I've ever seen this year. 
um, in a negative way. <laughs> that that one where he tackled Reek Wollen off of Debo might be the might be the crown jewel, but I'm sure I could rattle off five more that were just as bad. Where he just he's just clueless out there. He has no Man. idea what's going on. So I think he's a guy a protractor because <laughs> yeah. his angle is fucked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you gotta figure you gotta figure something out there. Um, that's where I would start. Uh, we can get to the draft stuff later, but I think if in free agency you can find you can find an O lineman, you can find D lineman, sure up the trenches first, and then that's gonna. Probably, you, you can, I gotta imagine you can find a linebacker. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you can bucks. find. I'm sure you can find a linebacker if you wanna if you wanna waste a, a pick on it. You can probably find a great linebacker in you know twenty range in the draft that's gonna be a top three linebacker in the draft at that at that point. So I would think you could go there. But there's there's other places that you might go with that pick. So I you think know, one one guy I think who might be up for free agency. I think coming up here is Shaq did they not just pay him a couple was it a year or two ago? Yeah. I mean I would love to have Shaq yeah, I thought I saw something dogs. I thought I saw something that he might Yeah, he might still have another year, but I thought I saw something that alluded to the fact that he might not. So are you saying that you're gonna sign Drew Lockton or are you gonna try to test the draft and get a quarterback? I think that I think that if you are I mean if you're you're letting Gino walk in this scenario, then I would I would keep Drew Locke because you need to have someone that understands the system and I would I would draft a quarterback I wouldn't I don't think I would draft one with the top what five number five overall pick that we have um personally I'm not sold on any of those guys being a top five yet maybe the draft process will will shake some of that out and I'll have a different opinion but right now if they're telling me Will Levis is going to be a top five guy and I just can't can't really see that Luke and I were talking about this the other night that and the more I've thought about it and we watched some highlight on him. AR-15 from Florida seems like a really spicy pick down in the, the late teens, early 20s that I, I think would be just the type of guy. If he makes it there. Yeah, if he makes it there. If he doesn't shoot up draft boards before that, I think or he'd he might be slip a, down. Yeah, I think but it's I so, think it's so be far a, before the actual draft ha- like the combine. Yeah, there's so much there's so much still that's going to happen with the draft stuff, but he seems like a like a spicy pick there that could be that could be a value guy. He's big, he's fast, he's strong, big arm, can run, which having a running quarterback seems like something the Seahawks could use. Anyone in, in this offense with Shane Waldron, hopefully you can figure out a way to have him hit his check downs and, and keep, the, keep the ball moving. You have a guy at running back that I think is going to be a star, especially if you, if you continue to build this old lineup. I think Ken Walker's going to be a dude. Rashad Penny... Bring him back if you if he's cheap. Why not? He's shown that he has has the capability to be explosive at times. But that's another place I think you probably need to go to the draft and and find someone. But you can find a value running back late in late in the uh, in the draft. That's not DJ Dallas and Travis Homer. My turn. Sure. Well, for starters, it looks like Shaq Thompson has one more year on this deal, and then he's a unrestricted. So maybe 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 they cut him because he is he's a twenty four and a half million dollar cap hit this year, which is eleven million more than what his cap hit was last year. Like they they've put his 
Yeah, he could get the they, Bobby the Bobby Wagner treatment. They put the majority of his cap hit on it's, on this last year of his contract. Especially especially the Panthers <clears throat> the Panthers might be doing that just because they're probably in a bit of a rebuild, rebuild mode. Yeah, right so, now. so, so he might get cut. You might be able to and then re-sign him. See, that would be that'd be a great pickup at linebacker. Instantly, you pick up one of the top linebackers in the league. Yeah, that, that'd be that'd be a huge definitely pickup. tops in our hearts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, definitely no, tops. No in bugs our about that. Is, is uh, what's his name from uh, the Jags? Olakun? No, no, no. Oh, Miles Jack. Miles Jack. Is well, he he's not the on the Jags. Is he still he, in the league? Like he yeah, he was on uh, the Steelers last year okay. and was playing. Okay. Not, I don't think he's playing that well. Gotcha. Um, he, there's got to be someone out there that's better than Cody Barton. Yeah. No, that's yeah, not saying much. Yeah, but I wouldn't give Cody Barton money. As far as like. If the Raiders don't end up getting Aaron Rodgers, which it kind of seems like there's a chance for that, potentially going back to Green Bay, potentially going to the Jets, like we've talked about that before, like where he might go. But like, if the Raiders don't get Aaron Rodgers, they're kind of in a rebuild mode at that point. Do we make a splash for Max Crosby? I would love that if you can. I feel like they wouldn't give him up. Yeah, if I'm the Raiders, I wouldn't give him up. But if you can, if you can find Max Crosby or a Max Crosby type, that'd be huge. Even though. He may not get the sack numbers, but that guy is a problem for for teams. He is. I mean, I think it would be more attainable if I don't even know where they're at in the draft. If you think that you can get a couple first round, like swap your first rounders this year and get another first rounder, maybe they throw in Chandler Jones. Yeah, that'd be another one. The lesser version of Max Crosby that's on that team, but I don't know. I feel like with with what the Seahawks are going to do in the draft, or what they could do is that I think they have an interesting position, obviously, with this top five pick. And then looking at the Super Bowl, right, I think this is a great, like, case one, case two scenario where you have – we've talked about the numbers before. I don't know how dialed in accurate they are because I don't have them in front of me. But no team has won the Super Bowl with a, a player, obviously going to be quarterback, but a player in general who has, what, 14% or more of their cap space is dedicated to one player. Mm-hmm. So that would change if the Chiefs win this year. Because I think if I saw it correctly, he has a $46 million cap hit this year. So it's almost like 25%. It's a little under 25% of the total cap space is dedicated to Patty this year, right? On the flip side, you have the Eagles now who have done this twice. They've got they've won one Super Bowl, and now they're in another one with a chance to win it win their second, and both of them have been with the same GM where they drafted a quarterback, Carson Wentz. Now, granted, he wasn't the quarterback in the Super Bowl, but he was on a MVP. He was the front runner for MVP when he got hurt. Similar to Jalen Hurts this year. Got hurt. Nick Foles comes in. Philly special. They win. You know, we all know that. But they went with that, with that kind of strategy that, similar to the Seahawks when they won with Russell, build the entire team, draft a quarterback, exploit the fact that you're not spending a high mark on one position, especially the most important position. They did that. They shipped him out. They, they actually drafted Jalen Hurts while they still had Carson Wentz. Got rid of him. Plug and play Jalen Hurts. They're back now to their second Super Bowl in six years. And they've obviously proven that that's a, other teams have too, like the Seahawks when they went to back-to-back Super Bowls. Proven that that's a good strategy. Now, no one's going to argue that having the best player in the NFL, Patty Mahomes, and paying him what he's worth is a bad strategy. 
obviously because they've been to what five straight AFC championships and now their third Super Bowl in five seasons. Yeah, but the, and the honestly, the Chiefs were doing this same strategy for to yeah, start off the Alex run Smith. here. Yeah, they had Alex Smith and then drafted Patty Mahomes and went to the Super Bowl with him with him making. That's when they won. When yeah, they, exactly. When he was, when he was making it, so. yeah, when he was making no money. So that's I mean it's proven to be the strategy in the NFL. So couple questions first I guess then specifically on the Super Bowl is do you think if Patty Mahomes and the Chiefs win is that narrative debunked that you can't win a Super Bowl with one guy making that much money I don't think so because Patty Mahomes is the best he's the MVP this year he's the best player in the NFL definitely the best quarterback in the NFL he's arguably the MVP every year it's just that he's such a good in the league they just have to like pass it around every now and then to like keep some kind of like yeah he's the, he's the most talented quarterback though right now hands down i don't think there's anyone in the same conversation i mean there's a couple guys that are on the back ends of their career that if you you know aaron Rodgers was I mean, the aaron Rodgers had won two mvps in a row prior to this year yeah and then he kind of looked old quick but yeah but it, aaron Rodgers is not the most talented quarterback in the nfl still though he has been but yeah not anymore not anymore that's and, patty Mahomes. Yeah, and but even how much and they, I would say even how much did they yeah. win with yeah, and like I guess how much did they win with Aaron Rodgers? They were pretty good for a lot of years there. But they didn't win. They didn't but win. They the didn't win the Super Bowl. They didn't win any Super Bowl. Well, they won. They won their one. And yeah, they won the one. But I don't even know if he was on his rookie contract still at that point. Probably not, because he sat behind Favre for so long. Yeah, but it but probably wasn't was, that big of a cap yeah, hit because. And I don't think he was making as big of money at that point. I think the biggest difference with Patrick Mahomes is that you can pay a quarterback when he is that elite he is top tier like no one else is touching like his you're tier. Peyton Manning you're Tom Brady yeah you're Aaron Rodgers I mean even Patty like Jones. even like Josh Allen who I'd argue is probably like would you consider him in the top three maybe the second best quarterback of what we would say like in today's era maybe in the top of that yeah. he had a little bit of a humbling year this year with his turnovers but still but that's what I mean though it's like even someone like Josh Allen like the dude obviously like he's not Superman like Patrick Mahomes has proven that he's like big talent that we don't see every day. We don't say we don't see this every season. Like he is one of those that's going to be one of those like once in an era type of talents. Paying someone like that can make sense, but I think for the vast majority of other quarterbacks in the league, like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it's maybe one guy every ten years who's coming to him. I mean, I think even Russell Wilson's proven this. I mean, Russell Wilson had tons of success with Seattle. He did all the right things up until that point as far as, like, PR and stuff like that. But, like, the dude came out there and just tanked this year. And, like, he, he's taken a huge hit on their salary cap. He They now have a huge financial obligation to him that they have to pay him over so many years. And, like, it could have – this might set the Broncos back, like, five years. It could set them back for a long time. Like, they killed their draft capital. They had to go out of their way and give up another first-round pick to get Sean Payton just to have someone that can try to get this dude in line. And at the end of the day, like, if Russell Wilson doesn't get things together and he has another bad or just mediocre season in general, they go out and, you know, go 500 or Russell Wilson just has just as bad of a season, that dude's gone. They're putting it all on Sean Payton at that point. They didn't give up that first-round pick to get Sean Payton and not like, well, if it doesn't work out, we'll just get rid of that coach and try another. Like, they're putting it all on Sean Payton and hoping that Russell Wilson can get it together. And it just proves, like, these quarterbacks, man, like, 
they have good seasons and they can carry a team, but over time, like, I think throwing the full money bag at him, it, it destroys a lot of teams. Because even the point with Aaron Rodgers, that dude, he is elite. He won MVPs, and he did take him to the playoffs. But again, one Super Bowl in his entire career. One Super Bowl that he's even been to. Individual success is great, but if, if you want to make a team and a team success, you can't put it all on one player. Yeah, I mean, that's just the whole idea. It's, it's a team, and they have such a strict salary cap that you can win you can win games with talent at limited positions. Hard to win a Super Bowl unless your entire team is talented. I, I think even the 49ers have proven this this year. I mean, they've had, what, they had three quarterbacks this season? Now, granted, Trey Lance barely played, and it was mostly Jimmy G, and then Brock Purdy took over. But, like, they there's, there's another guy, I think, with the option they could call on that one. Yeah, I Trey agree. Lance. Yeah. Again, Three separate quarterbacks that they threw into their system, and they still like made a run to the NFC Championship with the last pick of the draft this year. Like the dude didn't even have that much time to get like around to like understand the system and really get it down. But like they had such a solid foundation, a solid offense and defense, special teams, coaching that like they could throw just, that to, yeah, just plug and play. Talented. And all the dude had to do was just not make mistakes and just let his team do the job. We could be talking about a potentially different Super Bowl matchup if Brock Purdy doesn't get hurt during that game. If yeah. they had Jimmy G available to like take over and not tone it off to the fourth string quarterback, like at that point, also I, got hurt. I think the Niners win that game if Purdy doesn't get hurt. Personally, maybe. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it's, it's I think it's close. I think it's close. But I think it's close. I think it's a close game. But that Niners defense is ridiculous. And if there's anyone that can get. They couldn't even they couldn't even throw the ball like the whole second half they he physically couldn't even throw the ball. I think that's the hardest thing to tell about the Super Bowl coming up is just because of the fact that like it's not Jalen Hurts' fault, but the dude just hasn't really been tested in the playoffs. Yeah, and it, Dan Orlovsky was at least kind of challenging this point. How good is that shoulder really feeling? Yeah, he hasn't had to do anything with it because and especially in that Niners game, it's like once Purdy goes down. And then especially once uh, the next guy, Josh, goes, Johnson, or Josh Johnson or whatever, goes down, that it's like you don't even have like you don't even have to test them. It's a completely different game. If put the ball in Hurts' hands and where he needs to start making throws, pressure coming on him, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, guys like that, putting pressure and he needs to make big throws. I'm rooting for him to do it. I don't know if he'll do it or not, but like he just hasn't had to do it this whole playoff series. So like that's why this game I think is super hard to yeah hard. Hard to guess who's going to win. Hard to guess. I just don't know if I've seen it since he got hurt where he's really had to step up, win with his arm. Their team is so good, obviously, that, like, and he's a big part of what I think is. But yeah, they can get away with him running the ball and throwing it sparingly right now because they've just been so dominant in every facet of the game. And then injuries helped in the San Francisco game. this all relates to what the Seahawks are going to do in the draft and some of this. We could we could rip on Super Bowl predictions more and get into the nitty gritty of the Super Bowl, but to stay to stay one train one train of thought here with the Seahawks in the draft is that Nigel and I have kind of talked about this before. Is that I think there's an interesting line of demarcation in the NFL draft, and it was when Sam Bradford got drafted first overall, and then any time after that, right? Because that's when they changed rookie contract structures 
right? And Sam Bradford got sixty million guaranteed as number one overall pick, and then the year after, it's like Jake Locker got fifteen dollars. <laughs> yep. Yeah, as the eighth overall pick or whatever he was, and Cam Newton got, you know, but like Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, you know, has like a twenty million dollar contract that he's offered for for four years, five years, four, like years, four years, and, and then, then I think the year. fifth year, if you pick it up, then it it's like a average of the top top ten, 10 I think. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a franchise tag number. Yeah. I don't know the exacts of it, but it, your fifth year option for a first round pick is like a franchise tag type of number, where it's yeah. an average of top players at the so, with that in mind, is that a lot of people have missed, but it like in my mind, it seems like it's intentional because now more than ever, if you like the Seahawks have just stumbled into a top five pick, you like you're almost encouraged to try to take a shot at a quarterback if there's somebody there who you think can fit this Jalen Hurts model, Carson Wentz, draft a rookie on a rookie contract because at the end of the day, it's going to cost you ten to twenty million dollars. Now, you can always look at, like, oh, well, you could have drafted J.J. Watt instead. You could have drafted Micah Parsons instead. You know, guys who went 10th or 11th or 12th overall. You could have got this player. You could have got Garrett Wilson for the 11th pick instead. And like, But, like, with the salary cap in mind, is it like, I think that's why a lot, a lot of times these teams are like, it's basically a three-year investment. You get a chance to draft a quarterback that high, it's not that much of a financial gamble. More of a financial gamble to give Geno Smith $30 million a year than it is to draft AR-15, Will Levis, C.J. Stroud, fifth overall, and hope that they're better than Geno and get paid a third of the amount or of money. Or equal to Geno. Or equal to Geno. <laughs> yeah, or, or even a little it's worse. It's still cheaper. Yeah, well, equal to Geno, but also the potential to be more than Geno. Yeah, Ideally, exactly. you'd want to be better because like in that you still have to balance the fact that if you draft a quarterback at fifth overall and an elite defensive player gets picked sixth or seventh or eighth overall, then you're still, like, at least talent-wise, you've taken a deficit on that decision. But now, more than ever, like, teams miss on it. But, like, you almost... Yeah, but if, you have, someone, almost if you have someone equal to Geno, but you are able to spend that money elsewhere on defense, then your team becomes better, ipso facto, you are a better team. And, exactly. And then your person... And then your quarterback becomes better because you have a defense that can and that's, actually stop and that's what I'm saying is like points I, per game. I think now more than ever and I think I, I haven't looked through the draft to see where guys go uh, Sam Bradford at, before and post Sam Bradford but once that structure changed for contracts like I just it seems like te- that's where you see these like fire sales on quarterbacks now because honestly it's like that's kind of the best deal you could get in football is drafting a quarterback high and basically maxing out his salary at $20 million for four years and hoping that you have enough pieces around that player and you're, you know, the, the floor of your team is already so high that if you could just maximize the potential of this young player, then 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 you're good. So, like, I, like, I don't know if the Seahawks should take somebody because I'm not in love with any of these quarterbacks. I agree with what Nigel was saying before is that I think Anthony Richardson – AR-15, he's the guy that this early in the draft that, and watching what Jalen Hurts did, is that like, not to sound crude, but like, I think that's kind of the future of the NFL. Draft an athlete who can run at the quarterback position and you think that you can turn into a passer, and then just beat the hell out of him like a rental car. And have all the other be dominant on the offensive and defensive line, be a great defense in general, be able to run the football, 
part of your running attack is your quarterback, kind of like Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, beat the shit out of your quarterback, and then be like, see ya. Like, we'll go get another, we'll go get another guy on a contract, and our scheme and our defensive fits are so good that you don't want to say that anybody could play quarterback for a team because that's just not true. But you have a profile of the type of player that you want, and guys like that, they're not a dime a dozen, but there's more of them out there than you think. Plus, with all the rule changes, like, kind of like we were kind of laughing, that, right? That uh, I don't know if I was talking to you, but like Trent Dilfer, that video of him being like, I'm not impressed by Tom Brady or them because, you know, I'm impressed by you guys. It's all the old heads, you know. But, like, I'm impressed by you guys. And I think there is some validity to it that it's like guys can't hold, DBs can't hold receivers, you can't hit people over the middle. How, air quotes, how hard is it to throw it to a guy when the DB can't reroute him at all? So, with that in mind, like, I don't know, like, get a guy who's big and Josh Allen, get a guy who's big and physical and can run the ball. You have athletes at wide receiver. The DBs can't hold them. They can't reroute them. They can't knock knock their socks off when they run across the middle. Make simple throws. Yeah. So I think the Seahawks would be remiss if they didn't explore an option of drafting a quarterback with this gifted pick they have because the salary cap just makes sense. Just like it doesn't make sense to me to pay Cheeto all that yeah. money because I, I was going to get back to or get to this earlier, but with paying your Fourteen percent number, and possibly that trend being broken by by Patty Mahomes this year. You also have guys on that KC team that are taking pay cuts to go play with Patty Mahomes for a season or two. Juju Smith is getting taking a pay cut. Like the reason is he though? I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I, he, he seems kind of washed. It's somebody who yeah, had him on my sure, fantasy team. Sure. Like he's yeah, but a capable I just think player, there's there's obviously. guys there's guys that are coming. There's talented enough guys that are coming there just to go play with the best quarterback. And so you can afford to pay Patty Mahomes because he's going to make a guy like Juju serviceable. Or they've also. Marquez Valdez Scantley, yeah, Bal- the guy that. Yeah. that they're, they're also, I guess, maybe more so, they're utilizing fifth round running backs and turning them into, into players. They're, yeah, they're using their draft picks well. Well, they also drafted uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire as well. his career but like obviously they're like seventh round pick talented player injuries be damned but i think i think it's tough this year it's unfortunate that the seahawks were gifted this fifth overall pick in a year that me personally but i think most of the draft analysts were the same it's not the strongest quarterback year if it was but this is this is every year if it was next year because it's always yeah it's always the grass is greener it's always the next year although I think a lot of people thought. Well, that's what they said last year, too, that last year they were saying it's not a quarterback draft. And I feel like they were saying last year that this year was going to be the big quarterback draft. And now they're Yeah, because Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud were going to be in it. And Ungalele, which he had a horrible season. He ended season. up being nothing. But, but that happens with college guys, though. Like but, they, but they were right, is that last, they, said, they said, I think going into the draft two years ago, because there was a bunch of quarterbacks taken, including Zach Wilson. Next year was going to be a really bad year for quarterbacks, and it was. Kenny Pickett was the first quarterback picked at 22, and he was the only quarterback taken in the first round. So, obviously, not that good of a draft, although the 
best quarterback in this rookie quarterback class. But yeah, next year though, <laughs> next year is the year that you want to have a pick ready to take a quarterback. But I think they gotta they gotta explore. Uh, back to back to our our Seahawks draft picks here. All all the analysts, everyone has Seahawks taking D D end guy as as our a guy from Texas. Yeah, Tech. yeah, guy from Texas Tech and. I want to, or Luke has said this, and I think it's great, which is that we already have enough Texas Tech uh, defensive players on our team. And if you've watched, the Big, if, you, yeah, it's one. if you've watched the, if you've watched Big Twelve football at all um, over the last, specifically Texas, Tech. yeah, specifically Texas Tech, they don't play defense there, so there's no way any team should have two Texas. Yeah, we filled our quota with George Brooks. Yeah, no way should you should have two Texas Tech defensive players on your team. There's no way that uh, two first-round NFL Texas players... Texas Tech doesn't want two defensive players on their <laughs> yeah, team. Yeah, they exactly. they give up 60 points year. a game. So why would an NFL team want two Texas Tech players? So I'm not buying into that. I think uh, I think Luke's, Luke's uh, quarterback pick is not a bad idea there. At least exploring it. Although I do think we need to go defense or trade back. And I mean, if Jalen Carter's there, yeah, it, or, it's gonna or, it's gonna depend. Hopefully, hopefully everyone goes frenzy on some of these quarterbacks and picks Will Levis top five and picks even in the three R fifteen. All these guys go fire sale quarterback because they need to, and these really good defensive players fall in our fall in our lap at number five because that would be the most ideal. Seems unlikely. Well, let's explore that for a second. So the NFL draft this year for the first round is gonna be the Bears, the Texans, the Cardinals, the Colts, and then the Seahawks. What are their needs at that point? Because, like, the, the Bears are exploring the quarterback option now, right? Like, are they going to keep Bear, – Bears – Bears, I've seen a few mock drafts where they go kind of like hog wild with it, which I don't think is even that crazy. Like, maybe they trade back to number four. It's been the same scenario I've seen on two of them where they trade back to four because the Colts want Will Levis at number one, which, like, I think is ridiculous, but it also sounds like something that – any team would do. He is an Andrew Luck type. No, he's a Drew Locke type. Which, <laughs> not to go back down that, but it's like, Will Levis just looks like a hotter Drew Locke right now because he's just physically gifted, unpolished, if you can maximize potential. But Bears, Bears are not going to, I don't think they'll, they'll either use their number one overall pick to get Jalen Carter or uh, Will Anderson, but they're not going to miss either of those two players. Cardinals are the other team in the top four that probably aren't going to draft a quarterback. And so those two teams in the top four picks will probably take one of those two players unless something crazy happens. Guys can pop their ACL at a pro day or at the combine like it's happened. Sidney Jones popped his Achilles, right, at, at the Husky Pro Day. And or did was, uh, Taco – or was it the guy from Michigan had the same thing? Tra- uh, Taco, Taco Charles, Charles or whatever, yeah. Or even no, no, the no, guy last no, year. The guy last year, the guy last year yeah, did that, and then I the think was it the Ravens that ended up scooping him up. But yeah, which look look for that to be a great a great pick. Yeah, that was year. an investment pick because yeah. he's going to be on the IR for a year, but and he's going to be probably one of the best DNs. But it happens. But so maybe the Bears trade out of number one, but I wouldn't imagine they move further than number four because the Texans will take a quarterback, probably Bryce Young, unless somebody jumps up in front of them like the Colts. And then the Colts will take a quarterback if they don't jump. Like, so I think it's two quarterbacks and two defensive players are going in the first four, right? 
Yeah, but what if the Cardinals could trade out of that pick altogether and try to? They have more holes. Maybe they try to get multiple first round picks out of it, or first round picks for the future. You have a new coach. Who knows who it is at this point? But maybe they'll maybe they'll do something crazy and someone yeah. will jump up there. Although, like I said, there's still a ton of time, and the combine hasn't even happened yet. But it just seems like, and I tend to agree with this idea, is that Will Anderson and Jalen Carter, those guys are top four picks in just about any draft. Yeah. So why would you move out of a pick and miss an opportunity to get a guy who's a bona fide top four pick, basically across any draft? Now, like I said, it, well, that's it, how it, it goes into what you were saying earlier. It's because you jump up the board to go get a quarterback and and. $20 million you're not guy. Wrong. You're not wrong, but I also said is that, like, right, you're still judged on you're still judged on what you miss, right? You go do that, and it's like everybody said Jalen Carter is a bona fide franchise interior defensive lineman, and you went against, con- like, conventional wisdom, and you tried to play the cat's face quarterback game, and you lost because you out, like, you, you played yourself. Yeah. You know, like, so do you, do you, like, you're still judged on your, like, you're judged on your hits, but you're also judged on your misses, right? Remember when the Seahawks drafted Christine Michael one pick ahead of Travis Kelsey? I remember that day, <laughs> right? So you're still judged on the guy that you missed out on when you do it. So, yeah. like, I don't know that the Cardinals would do that. Like, you're right. Crazier things have happened, and there's still so much time, at least as it seems like it's framed today. Jalen Carter and Will Anderson are can't-miss prospects across any draft. The Seahawks also have a lot of capital, and maybe they are the ones that go crazy and jump up to get one of those defensive players. But I don't think anyone wants – that's what I'm saying is that I just don't think that any of the teams in front of them are willing to move because the Bears don't want to move out of, posi- out of a position where they still can't get one of those two guys, and the Cardinals probably aren't in a position where they want to move out, of, out to not get one of those two guys. And then the other two teams want quarterbacks, so obviously – they're going to be jockeying to make sure that they are still in a position to get their quarterback. Like, I don't think anyone could be wrong. This is going to be fun. We could play the tape back. But I don't know that anybody is going to jump. Things will change with the combine, so it is a little premature. But I don't know that anybody outside of the top four is going to jump into the top four. Because I think those four teams, you have two bona fide defensive players and two teams that want a defensive player. Maybe I'm wrong about the Bears, but I don't. I wouldn't be. I'm not sold on Justin Fields, but I'm also not I, 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 for my whole spiel about get him in and beat him up like a beat him up like a used car. Like Justin Fields fits the bill on that. That dude could run the ball. Like he's a monster yeah. running the ball, and dude has the worst wide receivers in the NFL. Find that guy, somebody that can get open. And maybe, maybe will, that's what they want to do with that top five pick, though. Or they want to. No, you can, go, you, you, can go get that, you can go get that guy somewhere. So I don't I don't know about that. Okay, but let let's talk about the uh, other draft picks that they have in the first round. What's what's the is the next one at number twenty? Number twenty. Okay. Next one's at twenty, and I'll I'll just pick up on this because we talked about it before. Is that my my hot take for the Seahawks? And again, there's still so much that's going to come down the pipeline, and we're going to learn more about where guys are going to fall into. But I think, and I think this is a small minority of people who say this is that. Seahawks should make drafting Bijan Robinson a priority, and I think that for multiple reasons. One is that obviously is that I love Ken Walker, and he is great, but the guy I just don't think is built to be a 20-carry type of guy in the NFL. I think that's perfect, though, 
because the NFL doesn't really yeah, call for today, that. Today's NFL, you, it doesn't call for you it, need two running he's backs. He's explosive, and I like Ken Walker, but honestly, it's like his worst quality this year is like third and one. Just run forward. He wants to dance, and he's really good at it. And sometimes he creates these plays, but like sometimes you just need a guy who, and Bijan honestly isn't like just tight cast, like he's not Derrick Henry. You need a guy who's a little more stout, who understands the nuances of getting a one yard run. Pete Carroll, I I love this pick. Um, Pete Carroll needs to get back to his USC days and have thunder his, and lightning. His thunder, thunder and lightning. And lightning he needs baby. his Wendell White and he needs his <laughs> Reggie Bush. And with the with the two of those guys, you can you have the power back, you have the every down horse back in Bijan, and then you have the lightning break break big play back in Ken Walker. And both those guys should split yeah, carries, you just, and you should pick you a quarter, get, you and you should get a quarterback that can eight. run too. If you want, if you want to be a running team, go get two running backs that are great and a running quarterback that can make big plays with his feet. AR fifteen, Bijan Robinson, exactly fifth and twentieth pick. Actually, you move out of the fifth pick, and you take Bijan, or not Bijan, AR-15 at like 10. Yep. Yep. And then pick up another pick in there. But. Bada bing. With, with, <laughs> Easy. With, with this in mind, though, is like kind of the example I talked about with Nigel before, is that like, I, I think it's like, the team has so many holes, obviously. Like, they're, they're, the Seahawks are trending in the right direction, but they have so many holes, obviously, the defensive line, linebacker, big being very notable holes that they need to fill. So I do think it's hard to be like, oh, well, we're going to use a first-round pick on a running back. When it's like, yeah. well, but if that running back's a superstar, then it's totally worth it. And, and, I think, and you, you can you can go fill in the top end of the second round because you have the fifth pick in the second round. Maybe you can pair together your ten picks that you have to move up a couple of spots and get back into the first round. Go get your center, and you're gonna you can go get the best center at the first couple picks of the first or the second round or the last few picks of the first round. Now all of a sudden that looks like a really good draft, and the Seahawks are the smartest guys in the room. You got your quarterback. You got a good running. Team yeah, you right. got a you got your quarterback. You got your franchise running backs, and then and then it's Pete Carroll football at that point. Like you got exactly what you wanted all along and now you can go spend your money on your defense because you have all your offensive weapons locked in you got dk locked in you've got tyler lockett locked in you got all those guys in place you got young tackles and then go spend the rest of your money on a couple of defensive players go find your chris clemens type dn that's a bad boy that you find a free agency you already got nwusu i was gonna say i think nwusu is kind of yeah, maybe he already looks a little yeah. bit like not the same player as Chris Clemens, but similar like type of like, veteran dude that's a had, solid guy. Yeah, that like you kind of picked them up on a pretty team favorable deal because they had kind of written them off, and he was a highlight. Yeah, he was a highlight of their off season. And, and I think that the Seahawks defense, as much as I hate to rely on this guy, but if Jamal Adams is healthy, that defense becomes much better defensively in the run game. I mean, that guy, he's. If he's able to play near the line of scrimmage, which I think is what they want him to be doing, if he stays healthy, you've got Diggs, who's a pretty good deep safety. You've got young cornerback that's a budding star. Was one looks of the, elite. Yeah, it looks elite. He's one of the fastest guys in the league. He's long. He's exactly what what Pete Carroll wants in his defense. You can go find another cornerback, which those dudes are out there too. Maybe you can find a way to either bring one in or or you draft one in the early second round or something like that, and you're moving out of the out of your top five pick, and you get a second round pick out of that 
I think you can I think you can put the, put all those pieces together pretty quickly, and all of a sudden you have elite talent all over the field. And you have Bijan Robinson <laughs> yeah, and Ken have, Walker running the ball for you. Yeah, I think Bijan Robinson's a, a must have. And my whoever has him is going to be happy with it. whatever team gets him is going to be happy with it. And if you can get him in at twenty or below in the draft, yeah. I mean, ideally, hopefully you move out of the twentieth pick and you move somebody else wants to move up a couple spots. You move back a couple. This is assuming that yeah. he's a after twenty before thirty pick, so maybe you move back a couple. At the same time, as much as people like to move backwards, I still fall in the camp that like if you can go get him, if, if, get if him. that's the guy and like he will, they're already saying it now, and I think it's going to hold true. Is that his draft pick is only based off of how people value the position? Yeah, because he is a top five graded player in this draft, and that probably won't change. He is a top five most talented player in this draft. His position just doesn't validate taking him that high, so he's going to yeah. fall back. But the example I was going to say before, and why I think it's a good idea to get a guy like Bijan, is that two years ago, I guess first three years ago, the Bengals drafted Joe Burrow first overall. And then the next year, what did everybody say? They had the fourth overall pick, if I remember correctly. And they're like, Joe Burrow got hurt that year, played a little bit, and he looked pretty good. They got hurt. They had the worst offensive line in the NFL, arguably, probably not arguably, worst offensive line. And everyone's like, they have to take an offensive lineman. They have to. You have to protect your investment. What did they do? They drafted Jamar Chase, a weapon for him. Now, we don't obviously, we don't have our quarterback right now, because obviously based off our conversation on Geno and how we feel about that, even if they did sign him. So it's a slightly different scenario. But what did you do? You went out and got an elite, talented player that is going to shape your offense. And I just and 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 I think people understood the pick obviously because of their connection at LSU and getting him a weapon and stuff. What did they do? They went to the Super Bowl. Now I'm not saying the Seahawks are going to go to the Super Bowl if they draft Bijan Robinson. I think it's a good anecdotal evidence, but it's a good example of just like sometimes when the most when you have a top five like one of the most talented players at a skill position, and he's right there for the taking, and he fits the mold of what you want your team to be, don't ever think, just go do it. Go, go get him and pair him with Ken Walker. Any fucking player can play quarterback for this team. that we had the other day when we were chatting around was the uh, the Mariners uniforms. Um, I got mine on right now. Just to well, you're a little out of data now because apparently MLB has made it to where, what is it, only four uniforms that they can choose from now? Sounds about yeah, right. Four, right. You know, that's the problem with MLB. It's just like you're trying to bring in a younger crowd. You're trying to keep baseball relevant. And we just constantly have these setbacks of we can't make baseball fun. We have to, like, limit things to four uniforms. Like, oh, young people hate, like, fun, exciting things new fresh uniforms oh we're also going to make it super difficult to watch any kind of game like if you're not local or have like the specific cable company that works for that like for whatever channel that the baseball you know the team that they're going through if you try to use mlb tv there's so many blackout restrictions wasn't it youtube that they had for a while too that you were able to watch baseball games and there's blackout restrictions of that now too yeah i don't know because i haven't had it but but i mean wouldn't be surprising yeah, yeah i mean i haven't really either but it's like they're just 
there's so many things that the MLB is just like missing on here, and it's just like one more thing. It's like four uniforms is all they can choose from, and now they're making a cutback. And you know the grays that they've used for how many years before my time? Yeah, <laughs> and we're walking away from that. But there's been a lot of a lot of different rule changes that are going into baseball now in order to make the game a little bit more fast, a little bit more enjoyable, a little bit more offense on the field. But it's like MLB just like seems to miss the mark on so many other things that keep the game. take one step forward and two steps back. It's yeah, uh, constantly. So I mean, with that said, like, what's your guys' take? Not to like completely shift gears here, but we're kind of going into the MLB scene now, like with the Mariners and everything that's going on with their offseason and the expectations going into that. A lot of rule changes coming up. We got a pitch clock now that is going to have a huge impact. The shift, is that's going to be outlawed now. Like, there's just going to be no shift. What's your guys' take on that? Do you think that's going to be better for the game, or, or what, do you, what do you see with that? I think that it will be – I think it's going to make games a little more exciting. There's definitely going to be more offense in the game without the shift which is a good thing, I think, overall for the game. More scoring, more offense. Pitch clocks, I guess that's a – I don't know how I feel about that one yet. It, I guess time will tell watching some of these games. I I know Luke Luke knows this about about me because from old beer pong games back in the day, I would always be like, tempo. Like, I always wanted to control the tempo in whatever game, I, whatever game I'm playing. Like, if I control the tempo, I control the game. And so, like, for, from a pitching standpoint, I feel like that's a big thing is these guys wait forever. They make you sit there. Like, batter, you want to get in the box and swing right now. And so maybe it's a good counter because I guess it's a bad counter because there's going to be a ton more offense now. And then also you're taking away pitchers' ability to control that tempo a little bit more. They're going to step right in and, and throw the ball and not really think about it and control it. But for watchability, I, if you want to see more scoring, I guess that's going to be a good thing for, for the game. I, I'm just not convinced 100% that that's what I want to see necessarily. It's already home run. You know, it's already big hits, home runs all the time, which is pretty exciting. This is going to probably revert back a little bit more to small ball stuff. So averages will go up, but I don't know if it's going to be good for the game or not. Well, I think it's also going to lead not just with average too, but like the other one that I forgot to mention was like bigger bases as well. So that's going to help with base running. And I think that there's actually a pickoff rule now too, that like you're only allowed to try to pick off the runner two times. And after the third, if you don't actually get him out, I think he gets to advance. So like if you're trying to pick off first, he gets to advance to second. I could be wrong with that. It might be like just a minor league thing that they're testing, testing out. out. But like that's also going to lead into a lot more of the small ball thing that you're talking about. Maybe a lot more hit and run, a lot more bunt situation, a lot more stolen bases. Which is fun. Yeah. You know, generally that stuff is fun. Uh, I'll be curious to see. I know there's been a lot of minor league, like Savannah Bananas, you know, kind of kind of teams that do wild and crazy things and people seem to enjoy it i've never watched it personally so i don't know you know how it affects the game and what what's going to be fun about it or not but i guess we'll find out here in the, in the coming weeks and see what you know see how the things are getting played yeah i, I know that jerry depoto he was uh getting interviewed the other day and they were talking about all these different rule changes and he was saying that the the pitch clock is actually what he thought was going to be the most impactful because so many of these pitchers they're used to controlling the tempo. They're, especially the older guys that haven't been in the minors for a long time. They're not used to that type of thing. And some of these younger guys that spent time in the minors where they were experimenting with these different rule changes, like they might be more up to speed and more up to par with it where it may not have 
as big of an effect on them that they think some of the bigger name dudes that's been in the league for a while might actually struggle with, with a lot more. And so like even like these big name aces, like your Justin Verlanders or, you know, Max Scherzer, those type of guys might actually start to take a downhill turn because they're not gonna be able to just control the game as like what they used to be able to do. Yeah. I I think I think it's gonna be probably better for watchability during the regular season. But honestly, I like postseason baseball when it's, you know, every pitch you're you're like hanging on the edge of your seat waiting to see what happens. And even if it's one zero, it's like the most exciting game you've ever watched. You know, it's every regular season game when they're dragging on three and a half, four hours. That's probably say, how, how do you recreate that environment though yeah. in a hundred and sixty two game season? Yeah. You know, on May May twelfth, you know, in a midday game between the Marlins, <laughs> a, little, a little interleague play. Like, how do you recreate? Like, I don't know if you can. Yeah. You know, it's brave of them to try to try new things. You know, to switch things up and get some sort of engagement. But yeah. Well, I, I think I think the I think their biggest problem is not necessarily how long pitches are taking. It's that you don't like don't let the kids have fun out there. Like, it's it's a game. We were just watching My Oh My the other night, and all. We were laughing about the this. Greatest like, movie oh, ever the greatest made. movie ever made, obviously. If you have not seen this, <laughs> watch, watch go on it. YouTube, type in My Oh My, it's the 95 Mariners highlight film. It is the greatest thing you'll ever watch. Tanner and I have each seen it about a thousand times. I, I, got, I got a hot take on that because uh, <laughs> I, 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 almost had, I almost had two takes that I was going to say last night, but then Tanner was asleep for the second one. <laughs> but. but, but uh, but I was like, nah, I'll, I'll save it because I think the reaction will be better. Is that A, I've never seen my own mind until last night. Unbelievable. Wow. Now, having said that, I have probably seen, prior prior to last night, I'd probably seen, I'll be conservative and say 60 to 70% of it. Just because, like, I've seen most, like, there's some, most there's of, some clips most in of the there. Major there's some clips in there that it's highlights. So, like, I, I've seen the highlights. I've seen, like, the Eagle hardware. I've seen the majority of it. But I've never actually – that was the first time I'd ever hit play, watched it from zero to the end. So, thought I thought I would share that now. That, like, I feel like I've watched it, though, before because I've seen basically all of the highlights outside of playing baseball. The other one I was going to say is that, if I haven't said this before, never went to the kingdom. I, I, am, I never went to the kingdom. Yeah, Kingdom was a cool. Kingdom was a cool. Thing. Yeah, and like, it was, it was and, like, and like yeah. watching it and like seeing it. Like obviously, I prefer an outdoor park, and I think that T-Mobile Park is obviously a better baseball venue than the Kingdom probably was. But it is kind of fun watching it and seeing it. Like that's a completely different environment. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's that's what baseball needs more of is environment. Like that's what makes those games fun. And like we we're lucky enough, you know. At T-Mobile, it's it's actually a pretty good environment most nights, even if it's a shitty Mariners team. Like party in the pen, like things are happening. They've people, done a good job. People come. Yeah, I, and I, I I hate the pen personally. I can talk about. I can talk about his grievances about. Give me a whole hour no, or two. No, just but, why but, I hate the pen. No, being in the pen personally sucks. But I'm saying for the environment of the game itself, 
camera's looking out like there's people out in the pen having a good time, drinking beers. Like, that's what makes baseball fun to watch is the environment of the stadium. Like, T-Mobile's done a good job. It's not a sport to capture attention for 100% of the time in there. Yeah. But not the gotta, experience that yeah, fills like, in look the at the, Look at a Cubs game. It's like the same thing. It's like that's the whole allure of it is you go out into, you go out into the, the bleachers out in left field and you have a party out there. There's a reason why the Cubs, like, have been – they've been bad for a 100 years, but people still show up to the games because it's a fun environment, and that's what makes baseball fun. And for some reason, all these teams just haven't figured out how to do it, and it, I don't think it's rocket science. Like, make it make it a must-come-to event. Like, have giveaways. Do, do quirky, like, Buner Buzz Cut night or King Felix night or whatever, like – Embrace your players. Make them part of the community. I'm sure they'll add something. Like, they're going to add something for Julio this year, right? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll have. I mean, similar, they already similar had, to like, Kings Court. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like no fly zone for them, or what? You know, whatever they want to, whatever they want to call it. Like the Mariners have always done a good job of embracing that stuff and making it an environment where people want to come and hang out on a Friday night. And even if the team sucks, people will still show up. That's that's been the problem. Is that they're so good at that. Exactly. Yeah, that is part of the problem. Profit margins are so high yeah. that they don't need to actually put a good team out there in order to be a highly profitable yeah. club. But, yeah, but I'm ta- I'm talking about baseball yeah. on the whole. Like, I'm, I don't I, think it's rocket I'm science. Just shots here. Yeah, and if you go, if you watch any international baseball game, everyone's everyone's involved, engaged. Like, people are go watch the World Baseball Classic or one or those like Caribbean League games. People are cheering and going crazy. Like, I think there's just this weird stigma in some baseball cities or whatever that it's quiet and you sit there and watch the game and be a grumpy old man about it. Yeah, eat, eat your, your peanuts, peanuts in silence. Radio call. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> put, yeah, put your put you, your you earbuds put in. Your ears. Yeah, put, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And instead of like enjoying it and having a good time, like I've said this for many years, I think the I think that they need to make it like a football stadium environment when when the opposing pitchers on the mound. Everyone's everyone's cheering standing like, up and like standing up and yelling like it's a football game. How cool of an environment would that be? Like it, the the Pirates when they were in the playoffs a couple years ago, was it the Pirates when Cueto was on the mound and the entire crowd is is yelling Cueto and he drops the ball when he's when he's in the middle of his windup because he's so rattled from it. It's like and then he gives up a home run on the next pitch. Like that's the environment. Like cater to that environment because. People will watch that. That's what's exciting about any sport My is only, the environment of the game. I have one counter to that, which, like, obviously that sounds awesome. But the, the only slight problem with that is that baseball is meant to be a sport that, like, parents bring their small children to. True. And so that's kind of – It is of, a family. It that's is a kind family of – That's kind of, like, what that sounds great for us. Like, that's what I want to do. That's why I, like, hardly go to any Seahawks games because they're so expensive. But every Seahawks game I've been to – is awesome because that's the environment but it is a lot more of a 21 and older crowd you know it's a lot more drinking beer and like standing and screaming the whole time whereas like baseball is a sport that i think it's intrinsic to the game that it's like mom and dad take their kids to the ballpark to have a day and that so that kind of clashes with the standing on your feet and screaming the whole time that's what playoff baseball is for that's what a friday night yeah. You know, <laughs> like, like Sunday, you know, and like you, but I think you, because there's so many games, you can balance the two yeah. Sunday day game. That's for taking the family and relaxing and, you know, getting a hot dog and some cotton candy with your kids Friday night, seven o'clock in the pen, 
<laughs> tearing it up with the boys or the girls, like whatever. Like, but so, I'm guessing, I, I I'm, guessing those same, I'm guessing those same families are going to the games in the Caribbean League ball, and their kids and families are enjoying yeah. it just as much. And there's a different culture around baseball, though. In that's your problem is you have a culture issue. Like, change the culture of the game. Make it fun. Let if you want to keep the game relevant, you've got to adapt. You've got to adapt. You got to adapt. And look yeah, at the, look at the pro- look at the profile there. look at the profile of the of the players in Major League right now. They're all Caribbean, Dominican, South my, American. Like that's my point though. Is that like baseball is life there? Like not to go too far down the rabbit hole. It's, but like, it's life. It's supposed to be life here. It used to be like no. It was, it's the American it's past. Great, it's, it's the it's American great, pastime. Yeah. Pastime. You pass time. Two, two points is that uh, first is that I think the Mariners kind of fumbled the bag on getting rid of the Grays. We had kind of talked about this before prior to this. That I love the Grays. I think the Mariners, like, you have to play with the cards that are dealt. You're only getting four. I wish they would have kept the Grays and not the Blues. Like, the Blues are slick jerseys, but we kind of talked about this before. I think it's a good road alternate one, but the Grays to me are iconic. I mean, so it was a little fun. Personally, I would have gotten rid of the Sundays, the Sunday uniforms, and kept the Blues. Yeah, yeah. although I think the Sundays, we've talked about this before, too, I'll just rope, rope it in, is that I would have preferred that they went with the steelhead Negro League jerseys for their Sunday. Absolutely. Instead. Because I'm just not, I don't really like the cream, the cream and the lighter colored blue and yellow. So, But I, I do think that there's good value in having a Sunday alternate. Just like having the Friday night uh, seafoam. I think it's great, right? And like you, and you come to expect it, and it's a fun alternate. But my more hot take is that I think, and this is going to be very short-winded, is that I think the MLB decided to do this purely because of those San Diego Padre jerseys with like all the electric colors. You know the ones I'm talking about. No, I'll bring up a photo for you, but I, I think they're you're talking about like the turquoise and pink and everything that they have going on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're they're kind of fun. I don't personally hate them that much, but they're just so off the wall they're that I feel like fun. I, yeah, they're too fun that they're like we gotta figure out a way to cut these jerseys. See if I can find it. This is some time. Is it their city jersey? The Probably. City? Those are sick. What the like hot pink and like green ones? Yeah. Those are so sick. Why would you want to cut those out? Those are awesome. Like I said, especially since they're it, normal yeah, colors. It's, yeah, it's, it's my like hot, the brown it's and my yellow. Hot, it's my hot take that they that yeah, the old right. heads at in the major league saw these and they're like, we gotta do something about these jerseys. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, I think that's crazy. Especially like no, I think they're I think they're kind of cool. Yeah, I agree. I think they're. Awesome. I think the Mariners. I don't know why. I think the Mariners need to do something to like spruce it up because they've had the same thing going. They gotta they, they gotta get new sun, Sunday alternates. Like I don't care if it's the steelhead ones, but they they gotta change that up. But even the Mariners in a whole, like, they've had the same thing going on since the 90s, which I like the Mariners uniforms. I like what they have going on. They have one of the best logos. Yeah. I think like, in all of sports because so many of them are so generic and bland that this one I actually think is, like, yeah, very area-specific, team-name-specific. Like, it's a well-orchestrated But I think logo. for, like, their Sunday u- uniform, like, 
they can change it to be something different. Like the yeah. the cream the cream uniforms are just like basically the Mariner uniform except it's a different tone to it. Yeah. It's, it's like why not why not use something like the Steelheads or like the Pilots? Like go with something retro or even like those sick like uh like what they wore like in ninety five or ninety six, like that they wore a few years ago for the uh Turn turn the clock night or whatever. Yeah, turn yeah. the clock turn, forward. Turn the ba- yeah, yeah. yeah. where they had the, the cut off sleeves. I don't really like the red though. No, I'm not saying it has to be that. I'm just saying like something <laughs> it's like red and silver. Though. I'm just it's saying cool. something completely <laughs> different. Those are cougar colors. Just like yeah. something like completely out of the ordinary. Like mix yeah. up like the Padres. Like they do it well. Like that's complete. Yeah. Their colors are brown and like gold or yellow. Whatever. Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the real offensive thing is that their normal jerseys are like the worst colored smattering. Yeah. I like their older ones where they have like the orange yeah. on there that are, but even those aren't necessarily anything to write home about. And honestly, if we're gonna go down this whole rabbit hole of the Mariners uniforms as well, it's like with the uh, the Northwest green or whatever they call it now, sea like, foam, I think. Yeah, sea foam, dude. Bring back the old hat too that goes along with it. Yeah. The sea foam colored hat too that goes along with it. I think I mean, right now they do the brim. Yeah, right? yeah the so brim. Which, which I, I think, think the brim looks sharp. I think but, those are pretty sweaty. But the but. whole yeah, doing the whole hat sea foam. Why not? I mean, honestly, we'll the, just hat, throw it in. the hat you're wearing right now, Stan, the All Star Game one. Oh, absolutely. They, dude, yeah, that would be. A, that, I think that's way. That would be. Than, that would be a sick hat. To, yeah. for them to wear as yeah. a. For those at home, it's white on the front, blue on the back, and sea foam on the bill. Yeah. I mean, you can you don't even make that like a special hat. Like, you can just throw it into the rotation. Yeah. You can wear it on the road. You can wear it at home. You know, just throw it in. Yeah, I I Got definitely three, like the three like, colors. Three tone, yeah, the three color hat, like especially white in the front. Yeah, like, yeah with the it looks it looks sharp. Like that's those are awesome. Well, we're gonna have plenty of time to talk about Mariners baseball. Like we're we're wrapping up the NFL season. We had the Super Bowl, uh, basically a day and a half from now. We have it on Sunday. Had a big big uh, Super Bowl. Uh, little party going on we're gonna have a tailgate i mean we're at our own house but we're gonna have a tailgate out in the front you know get some husky football vibes going with that we're gonna have dual traeger dual traeger vibes. Traeger, shout out yeah man. we're gonna have that going shout on out traeger. traeger sponsors we're gonna have friends and family over we're gonna have a great time but um with that said let's put let's put a bow on the nfl season let's uh by the time that anyone listens to this which i can only assume is going to be like couple of our friends at least to start with we'll do this a few more times eventually we'll be as big as dan patrick and we'll go from there but like let's put a bow on this let's put our super bowl predictions down what we think is going to happen and then when we release this we'll see how long we are so nigel what's your super bowl prediction uh i'm going to say that the chiefs edge out the eagles by by a We'll say four points. They're going to score a touchdown late. Final score will be, uh, we'll say 34 to 30. But I think it's going to be a close game. Um, I think that first half's going to be a little slow. It'll open up for both teams in the second half. And I think that Patty Mahomes ultimately kind of edges ahead and and takes the takes the W. Yeah, you kind of just stole my pick. I was, I was going to go Chiefs 34, Eagles 31. That That's been the number in my head all is week. that is that the script number that was leaked <laughs> yeah i was talking to uh Aaron foster Aaron foster <laughs> and uh yeah he's like i don't want to get into numerology but 34 31 is looking like a hot number for this one um super bowl mvp it's probably got to be patty mahomes uh i got a dark horse though that goes as my uh as my fail safe, we have a dark horse MVP for the other team, Devonta Smith. Okay. I think 
I think maybe second receiver on the team. Cause like I think I think I'm picking the Chiefs because Patty Mahomes, but I think it's honestly a toss up. Eagles are a great team, so I can see them winning too. I'm gonna go Chiefs thirty four, Eagles thirty one, but I think the Eagles could also easily win this game. And Monta Smith is my would be my hedging my bet on a Super Bowl MVP. I'm gonna go the opposite. I'm going I'm going Birds, man. Go Birds. Go Birds. <laughs> I'm going Eagles, man. I think they have the complete team. I think that they're going to prove to the rest of the NFL that just throwing in a dude like Jalen Hurts to come out there and basically cheap quarterback, younger guy, they're going to come out there. They're going to win the game. I'm, I'm calling it 28-24. I just think that the, the Eagles just have too much going for them. They got the defense. They got the offense. They got a mobile quarterback that can just manage a game and take care of business. And I think that they're going to – Hopefully set the the future forward for the rest of the NFL and possibly for the Seahawks of like you don't need to pay the dude fifty million a year. You can put in another dude and hope that he has enough talent to just carry you through. So I, I I'm going with the Eagles, twenty eight, twenty four, go birds. Go birds. I think that if the Eagles win, it's gonna be because they score a defensive touchdown in the game. So I'll get since we put it since we put in a secondary pick, I'll say my secondary uh, uh, MVP is going to be Hassan Reddick, uh, the DN, gets a strip sack for for a touchdown. And uh, if the, if the Eagles pull it out, I think they're they're going to. He's scoring the touchdown, or somebody else is picking up the strip. Maybe I uh, need some clarity there. Yeah. Okay. How about uh, how about somebody else picks it up, but he he gets he gets two sacks in the game, two and a half. We'll say two and a half sacks in the game, and one of them is. A a strip sack that puts them in either in easy touchdown range or uh, or a stupid score, and so he gets the the MVP out of that. But maybe a late late game big sack that that causes that something like that because I think it's going to be close either way. I, got, I gotta assume that that would be the first defensive MVP since um, would it be Von Miller? Malcolm Smith. Malcolm Smith. Okay. That's that's for who I was thinking. Okay. Did Von Miller not get one in that Super Bowl? Not Peyton did. No, I don't think it was Peyton. For the Broncos when they beat Carolina, dude, Peyton Manning just like wobbled out there barely. Like Brock Osweiler <laughs> carried him that season. That, Peyton, doesn't, that doesn't matter though. <laughs> I, I don't think it was Peyton. Maybe it was Von Miller. I can't remember. But well, we'll come back next next episode to give that answer. Yeah, that'll be the that'll be the that'll be our that's what we call a hook. Thanks for listening. All right, thanks guys. Thanks, Clay. <laughs> See you, Clay. <laughs>